0: Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I just want to talk to you for a minute about love and serve. It's uh, how we started our series last week. And I want to start with a quote by my good friend, Wayne Cadero: that a mind can change a mind, but only a heart can change a heart. You've heard the line, people don't care how much you know, till they know how much you care. And there's so much information today, but it's still the heart. It's a heart touching a heart. It's someone who's serving and someone who's, who's loving from the heart that makes such a difference. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about imagining what LFC can become. I remember many years ago standing in our old sanctuary and talking to the church about imagining reaching our community. But imagine what it would look like if we took our little Halloween party that was in our little building over here, it was in that little building, and we took it to the street. And imagine what it would be like if we had a big party for high school kids when Lompoc plays Cabrillo. Imagine what it would be like if we would serve meals to people, hot meals, and a warm smile and a prayer to people that are under-resourced, and and we, we do that today, and Imagine what it would be like if we had really cool classrooms upstairs that are, if you haven't been up there, you need to go up there and see how we've redecorated those rooms for kids. One girl said, mommy, I want my room painted like this. It's got Nickelodeon splatter on it, you know, and this looks so cool. And her mom said, no, we're not doing that. So anyway, <laughs> but imagine a church that, that didn't just have gatherings like this to inspire, but also classes of discipleship to equip you, which we do offer and, small groups that were meaningful. I I stopped by our collective the other night in the cafe. That's our 18 to 29-year-old group. And it was just a great growing group of young people. And after their game time and their snacks, they turned to the Bible and they were sharing together the scriptures and asking questions and answering questions. I stopped by our youth group uh, two Tuesday nights in a row. And I actually went to their open house and watched Parents come in and learn about how Scott and the leadership are impacting young people. And I was so encouraged. And I went back in my own memory to remember when I was a, a youth. And boy, I had to go way back. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was looking in the mirror the other day and, and Debbie came up to me and I, I looked at a few wrinkles and I said, will you, will you love me when I, when I get old and, and fat? Will you love me? Anyway, she goes, yeah, I, I love you right now. So <laughs> thanks for your encouragement, babe. I appreciate it, you know. I stopped by our kids' classes. I just went by even as you were uh, worshiping this morning and visited up there and to see our teachers impacting young people. But my point is there's so much more for us to do. Uh, imagine what it would be like if, if every at-risk child in our school district had a mentor. That helped them. Just imagine what it would be like. And I got inspired by Tom Hughes last week who was telling us that at his church, there are 80 Christian spirit-filled adults mentoring 80 kids at the school next door to them, Eagle Rock Elementary, 80 kids. And they went to the school and said, would you give us a list? Of those kids that are struggling the most, those that are most at risk, and they came up with these students, they actually came up with 50 names, and now they've added 30 more, there's 80 adults mentoring 80 kids every week at that school. Just think about what that would be like, and just think about what it would be like if every... um, elderly person that was struggling to take care of their household if the church came by and helped them and and, and served for them. See, the point is, there's so much more that we can do. Now, did you know, did you know, because we did a a study, a math study a few years ago, that if every Christian that went to church in Lompoc and Santa Barbara County, every Christian in every church was actually a full-fledged tither. 10% 10% of their income. We would have not needed a bond for the hospital. The churches could have built it. How you doing? Now, I'm not going to talk about Measure E. I know it's coming up and, and we don't talk politics here. But do you know if every Christian, if every Christian in every church in the Lompoc Valley tithe, the school wouldn't need a bond. We would just go in there and pay for all that stuff to be done. And it would confound the wise. Now I know it gets quiet in here whenever we talk about money. Yeah, so I'll move on. Move on, Pastor B. But why do we care? Why do we want to make sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord of people's lives? Because Jesus Christ makes people better husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and grandparents and sons and daughters, employees and business owners and better airmen and teachers and engineers and construction workers and students and mechanics and bankers and doctors and lawyers and so on and so on and so on. Because we believe that a relationship with Jesus makes life better but it also makes us better at life. let me say it again. Because we believe that a relationship with Jesus makes life better, but it also makes you better at life. So a couple of big events coming up, and some of you who are newer to LFC, you're you're unfamiliar with the big game post-game party. There's this one shot of it in front of the aquatic center, and those are all our tents and generators and lights and games and 380 pizzas and so on and so forth. And then we also have, of course, our block party that we do, and uh, yeah, they all want to win something there. It's a costume contest, and it's a great time, and it takes lots of us to put this stuff on where everybody is serving and loving. We have a big vision, a big purpose to create life change. Why? Because changing the world is not a dream. Changing the world is a command. Changing the world is not a dream. Changing the world is a command. Jesus had 11 disciples. One kind of got in trouble, so he's got 11 left. And he says, with you, I will change the world. And today, there's multiplied millions of Christians, and many people believe that the world cannot be changed. And that's just bad math. I mean, we've got multiplied millions of Christians who really love Jesus Christ. They're not just religious. It's not just a theory for them. It's a practice for their life. And yet, somehow, we believe there's nothing we can do to change the world around us. And I believe we can. We can change the world one person at a time. Remember this statement. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I can't change all 43,000 people in Lompoc just too many of them. But I can change one at a time. And because I have a little expanded capacity, I can change three at a time. (laughs) And some of you can do the same. See, the church needs to adopt God-sized dreams and not just man-sized hopes. So I want you to think about this this morning. It's kind of the center of love and serve. Every day they tell us that we're bombarded with between 3,000 and 5,000 branding images because corporate America wants to go after your almighty dollar. Corporate America wants you to like them on Facebook and to like them and to review them and to give them uh, positive Yelps on Yelp and Google and everything else. They want you to like them. 3,000 to 5,000 images a day. Now, how about this first logo that we have for everybody knows this, right? Now, Nike was the goddess of personified victory. And so a graphic artist who was making $2 an hour sold this image to Nike for 35 bucks. And the CEO said, I don't really like it, but it will grow on me. And we all recognize what it is. The next logo that we have, and by the way, these were in a Fortune 500 magazine, the most recognizable logo. Everybody knows this, Amazon, right? And uh, if you don't know, the A to Z is actually intentional. They want you to know that you can buy everything from A to Z. And when you buy it, it will put a smile on your face. (laughs) The owners are smiling bigger than that, let me tell you. And the next one, FedEx. Many of you know this. Very recognizable that between the E and the X is an arrow. Everybody see it? Good. You all knew that, right? Good. Everybody knew it. Yeah. Old stuff. No, no, no. Nothing new here. But here's one of my favorite logos. Uh, It was my first real job. I worked at the Baskin-Robbins headquarters store in Glendale, Burbank, Glendale, Borderline, California, and... uh, I actually met Mr. Baskin. Mr. Robbins had already passed away. And the corporate offices was above our store. And we had a literal red phone. It was an intercom. And when it, it would go off. We'd pick it up and we'd say, yes, how can we help you? And on the other end, Mr. Baskin asked me to make five banana splits and bring them up. So new apron had to go on, new hat, brown pants, white shirt, logo, right, and the little hat, and uh, I went up in the elevator with a tray, and I just remember sitting them down, and I looked at Mr. Baskin, wondering if it was like satisfactory, and he grabbed a spoon, and good to me, kid, and uh, anyway, so I went back downstairs, but you all know that the B and the R, look careful, you see 31, right, we all all get that, and uh, we have a 31 flavors in town, so there you go, how about Google, everybody know Google, Uh, Google keeps changing, and when there's a special day, uh, they'll have Sesame Street or on Donut, National Donut Day, one of their artists will come up with something really cool, and uh, we just think that's great. And then, uh, before I show you this, they say this is the most recognizable logo in the world. Anybody know what it might be? Who said McDonald's? Good. Good. You can go there after church. Okay. (laughs) McDonald's. Now, the good thing about McDonald's is if you have a big car, you got kids in the car, you got an SUV or a van, the French fries that fall down between the seats, <laughs> you can eat those weeks later. They taste exactly, <laughs> exactly the same. Come on. Come on. Logos. They tell us a lot about a company. But for well over 2,000 years, this right over here on the wall is our logo. Just think about it. It's an image of death and evil and sin. It's It's an image of punishment. And Jesus comes to it and brings light and life and hope and redemption He takes the cruelest of images and turns it upside down. He takes what would be just gruesome. Could you imagine PG&E having as its logo electric chair? (laughs) You know, just think about it. Well, they're in electricity, right? And nobody would want to have a necklace or earrings of electric chair. But that's our logo. And I think that Fortune 500 and Forbes is wrong. I don't think the arches are the most recognized. I think the cross is. And because we've seen it so often and so much, it can easily become something that we don't get or understand. You know, the the Jewish people have something really cool. They have a David star. Other religions have a crescent moon. So I want to say to Jesus, I mean, Jesus, really? Marketing experts? You know, your cadre of artists and creatives, that's the best that they could come up with, two pieces of wood. But why the cross? Because it reminds us of our roots. And if ever we lose our way, if ever we drift off, we need to correct back to the heart. And the heart of LFC and the heart of Christian faith is all about surrender and all about sacrifice. And when somebody says, this is too hard, it's too difficult, it's too much. Or if you're married and you're, you're dealing with your marriage and you going, "I just don't know, I can sacrifice anymore for you. I can't wash your clothes any longer." <laughs> Let's go back to the cross. Just remember what allows your eternity to be changed. Just think about when there's a kid and he needs your help and he's driving you nuts. Just think about the imagery of the cross. If Jesus could die for you, the least we could do is live for him. If Jesus would give his all for you, the least we could do is give almost everything for him. Almost. Fleming Rutledge, um, an author, wrote these words. The world's religions have certain traits in common, but not until the gospel of Jesus Christ burst upon the Mediterranean world No one in history of human imagination had conceived of such a thing as the worship of a crucified man. It was Jesus who used the cross to express the deep lostness of humankind and the power of grace, the power of mercy, and the power of salvation. It's more than a ticket to heaven. It's the way we're to live. We think of the cross, we think of... The economy of Jesus, if you give yourself away, you save yourself. If you love your life, you lose it, but if you lose it for my sake, Jesus said, you'll gain it. If you're faithful with little, I will give you much. If you love, you live like me. If the first or last, the last will be first, just go ahead and be last. Don't look to be served, but look at how you can serve. And I think what happens a lot of times is we miss the why behind Christianity because we're so consumed with the what. What's going on in our lives? What's the last meeting we had? What's the last issue we had? What's the last bill that hit our email or hit our desk? The heartbeat of LFC that some people in our world want to drift to evil and sin and hatred and darkness and actually move against God, but we need to intercept them with love and hope and grace and mercy. I still believe this. I'm just so confident that the world is desperate to hear a good message, something positive, something hope-filled, that God loves them and cares about them. No matter if you're 12 or 22 or 42 or 62 or 82, all of us have a place. And I want you to just write this in your notes. It's so simple, but it's important for us to remember that God, number one, created you to serve. He created you to serve. To so lay down your life for him. Ephesians 2.10 says, and let's read it with our best uh, 10.06 voice, okay? For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do which God prepared Now, that may be simple, but notice that that phrase, created, and notice that phrase, in advance. In other words, before you came to Christ, Christ already had a to-do list for you. You were created to do good works, so don't limit yourself. Let me say it again. Don't limit yourself. All right, somebody in the next service is going to need to hear that. Don't limit yourself yourself. I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough Bible knowledge. I'm not smart enough. I'm not articulate enough. Don't limit yourself. It's not about a big belief. It's about a deep belief in a very big God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. And somebody says, I know that verse, but I want to pray that you live that verse, that God could do more through you than he's already able to do now. A lot of people in America think their assignment is not to do good things, but to accumulate good things. We call it the bucket list. And somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, Pastor B, what's on your bucket list? I go, I haven't really thought about it too much. And they go, Come on, your brain's always going. Well, you haven't thought about a bucket list? I said, No. So then I got a little idea. I should look up bucket list. So I went to the Oxford English Dictionary that says the most likely bucket in the phrase bucket list, or kick the bucket, refers to a beam a pig would be hung from, and the bucket would be kicked out from under him so he could be strangled and die and slaughter. (laughs) Bucket list. Well, I want to tell you that according to the Oxford English Dictionary, That a bucket meant the pig was about to die. I want to say to you this morning, and you'd be glad you came to church, you're not a pig. (laughs) And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will not be a bucket kicker either. We have it on good authority from Jesus himself. He comes along and changes everything. He gives himself as the ultimate sacrifice on the cross for our forgiveness. And what priests had pointed to for hundreds of years, that Jesus would come and be the Messiah, born of a virgin. What the prophets had prophesied for hundreds of years. You might think it would end the priesthood. But as we saw last week in 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen people. That's you, chosen. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that we may, come on, declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here's a question for you. It's not in your notes, but you could write it down. How am I declaring? Now I didn't give you that assignment. Peter, who had a front row seat, ground level at the birth of the church, says, "Wait a minute. This is who we are. This is us. That you would declare the praises of him who called you out of his darkness into his wonderful light. And I still believe that the world is looking for priests to guide the way. And that's what we're all called to be. It's not an elite priesthood, but that we all have access to God and that we've all been called to serve him. The great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves. the great commission, go into all the world and preach, come on, the gospel to every creature. Some of you live right next door to some creatures. (laughs) Some every creatures, yeah. What's our message? Well, I think our message is the Old Testament message that really is personified in Jesus Christ where even the prophet Ezekiel says that I will be their God and they will be my people. He wants to have a relationship with every person. People that are far away from God. And he's chosen us to to not just sit in the bleachers, but everybody to get in the game. The second thing I want you to see is that God has gifted you to serve. What's our fuel? What's our motivation to serve? It's our logo. It's the cross. And whenever you get tired of serving, whenever you get tired of living after God, just just get a fresh glimpse of the cross and see Jesus dying there and, and, and hear his words, Father, forgive them. Those are words for you, and those are words for me. Paul the Apostle, who is radically changed by Jesus, says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, let's read it. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Hey, look at your neighbor and say, you're in each one. Come on, you're in each one. You are, you are, you're all each ones. Hmm, I'm in each one. Each one, each one. I was like, yeah, Japanese, each one, each one, every person has been given this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, people that have come to Christ, and that's the beauty of the church. The plan of God for the church was that it would be led by people with spiritual gifts of leadership. It would be shepherded by people with spiritual gifts of shepherding. Taught by people with spiritual gifts of teaching. Hosted by people with spiritual gifts of hospitality. Organized by people with the gift of administration. Impacted by people with the gift of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and discernment. And he would pepper in some creativity and fun to seeing life change happen and so on and so forth to where everybody says, I have a gift and I will bring it. My neighbor needs what I have, and I'm going to give it to them. I spoke to a young girl. She's in the seventh grade. Man, she's like a ray of sunshine. When she walks up. She smiles. Pastor Bernie, how are you? I mean, I, just, I look forward to seeing her whenever I get the chance. And I said, how's it going, school? You know, you've been in long enough now. She goes, oh, I love it. I said, how's your teacher? I have seven teachers now, because she came from uh, elementary school where she had one. Now she has seven. She goes, this is great. I have seven teachers. It's so exciting. I thought, wow, we should harness this enthusiasm, send it to our school district, right? She's just like, Papa. I said, so what do you do when you go to school? She goes, oh, well, every morning I pray. Wow, ah, what do you pray? That God would use me? Seventh grade, folks. God would use me. So then you know my question, how's he using it? She said, well, I had this idea that there's lonely kids that go to my school. They're lonely. And she said, my idea was that no kid at lunchtime would eat by themselves or no kid would stand in the corners and the shadows. She said, my mommy told me a story when she was growing up. She was really shy and quiet and didn't want to be with the other kids. She would find a column or a pillar at the side of their school, and she would get behind it and eat her lunch so nobody would see her. My mom shared that story with me, and when she told me that story, I thought, I could do something to change that. So I'm making lots of new friends, Pastor Bernie. I go and find kids that are eating by themselves, and I go and sit down, and I'm just thinking, again, man, your sunshine would just make anybody open up, take any clam and just open it up. And she goes, yeah, I've got seven new friends. I said, now what are you going to do with them? I'm going to pray for them. What are you going to pray for them? I'm very curious. What are you going to pray for them? That they would come to know Jesus? Wow. That inspires me. I mean, when was the last time I made seven new friends? New friends. New friends. When was the last time I looked for a need and I filled that need? That's what she did. Lord, show me the marginalized on my campus. That's her cry. Show me how to fill those needs for them. Now, the third thing I want you to see is that God brings life change when you serve. That's what's happening with this young lady. See, life change happens in others when you serve, but also it happens inside of you. We're going to read Philippians chapter 2. I think this is a great passage of Scripture. Let's read it with our best 10, 15, he better hurry up voice. Okay. Okay. Do nothing out of or vain. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest. Yeah, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Does anybody want to say, ouch? Come on. Because sometimes we do things motivated by something that we need. Sometimes we serve others so they might serve us, we acknowledge others so they might acknowledge others us, but that's not what this is about. See, Jesus died for the entire human race, from Adam to the last person born before the end of the world, with no guarantees on how many would come and follow him. Didn't have guarantees. You and I both know people that are rejecting Jesus today. They want nothing to do with him. And yet Jesus poured out his blood for them. He loved them with not a selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, he gave himself. I don't know how many have heard of the name Indra Nui. Now, Indra was born in India, where girls and women did not have or do not have the same opportunities as women have in America. Her mom had something that she did every evening with her two daughters. She made them write an essay every night. And at the end of the essay, she would vote on which one won. You see, the essay was about being a world leader, being a, a president, being a, in charge, being a, a queen. And her mom, every night, would vote on the one who was going to be the president or the, or the queen, or the one who would be in charge, the prime minister, or whatever it was. Well, I'm fast-forwarding the, the tape a little bit because Uh, Indra became an employee at PepsiCo, and for 12 years, she climbed the corporate ladder. And about 12 years ago, she was voted as the CEO, and recently she put in her retirement papers. As it happens, her mom was visiting her in America from India the day that the board voted her in. She was all excited. She came home from work. I've got news to tell you, mom. And mom said, we need milk. We're out of milk. Get us milk. And she goes, no, no, get somebody else to get the milk. I got some news. No, 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 no. You go get the milk. So she got in her car with this news of her being voted as as CEO boiling inside of her and her emotions boiling at her mother. And she drove and got the milk and came back. And she said, Mom, I have news to tell you. I am now the president of PepsiCo. And her mom said, Good. That's why I had you go get the milk. To me, you're just my daughter. Don't you dare lose your humility. Her mom said, Leave your crown in the garage. And they come in the house. I thought, wow, isn't that something? What a story. Huh? Humility. I have a friend who lives next door to a retired Air Force general. Retired general. Now, if you make general, you airmen, you understand, that's huge. That's huge. Am I right? That's huge. General. Even to get one star, let alone four. And so this general, uh, he has been retired for about 25 years. He has a problem. The problem is he still thinks he gets to wear the stars and treat all his neighbors as airmen. (laughs) So my friend was telling me, "What, what, what, what should I do? I mean, if a kid leaves a bike out in the front yard, he pulls his car up. In front of the house, beeps his horn, doesn't get out, beeps his horn. Family comes out, take your bike, put it away. I mean, he barks at the neighbors. Now, now, again, this is not against the Air Force. You could be a Marine general or a brig- you could be an admiral from the Navy. I, I'm just saying, this guy has forgotten something. So now I'm going to share with my friend the story they could use with the retired general about Indra. Hey, sir, leave your crown in the garage. Better yet, put the crown in with your shadow box and the uniform you can no longer fit in. (laughs) I mean, it's all about humility. That's our logo, folks. And our logo is all about humility. When you think someone else should serve, when you think someone else should care, when you think someone else should give, stop and look at the logo. And remember these words in Philippians 2, 5 to 8 in your relationship with one another, that's us, have the same what? Mindset. The same thinking as Jesus Christ did. And I so love this. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. See, when Jesus Christ comes, he empties himself of everything that he has and he makes himself nothing, the scripture goes on to say, by taking on the very nature of a servant. I have a question for you. It's not in your notes. You could write this down. Where am I a servant? Wayne Cadero, my my friend that I quoted as I started, says this You know if you're a servant by how you respond when you're treated like one. <laughs> You know you're a servant by how you respond, by how you react. When you're treated like one, yeah, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Okay, then go do this. Oh, no, no, no. Now you know. Now you know if you're a servant or not. Because Jesus was made in the likeness of humanity. And he was found in the appearance as a man. And he humbled himself. How do you get God to come in human form? It's called humility. And how do you get God in human form to make it all the way to our logo, to our cross? It's called humility. Even death on the cross, he humbled himself. And God, number four, uses you when you serve. He uses you. Just think about it. You get to be used by the God of the universe to brighten someone's day, to help someone get closer to Jesus, to serve in a way that somehow will present the gospel to somebody. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Even so the body is not made up of one part, but as of many. If they were all one part, where would the body be? See, that's why we need all of you. We need you funny people because you're funny. We need you people that are dry without a sense of humor. We need you. Because there's other dry, humorless people out there who desperately need you. They're waiting for you to walk up to them in a monotone voice. (laughs) With no expression. They've been waiting all their lives. And as it is, there's many parts but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And so on and so forth. We all need each other to make love and serve work. Now, some of you might say, well, any moment now, we're going to get those response cards. He's going to send them around, and we're all going to sign up for stuff. No, I'm not doing that. This is deeper than that. This is the summons to remind us that we're called to serve, that we're called to do what the cross has done for us. Some of you know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Christian thinker and servant, and here's what he said. Thus, it's a good idea for all members to receive a definite task to perform for the community so that they may know in times of doubt that they too are not useless and incapable of doing anything. Every Christian community must know that not only Do the weak need the strong, but also the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is death of the whole community. In other words, everybody has an assignment in discipleship. As we get ready to finish, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. We don't usually end our services this way, but in a second, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand on a shoulder somewhere near you. Some of you have to move in order to do that. But we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And our world desperately needs to see the demonstration of the Lord's love and grace and humility and the power of the Holy Spirit live through us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.